Well, we've all been watching uh, what's happened this past week and the, the events down there uh, near te- in Texas and Louisiana and so on and so forth. And uh, there's a lot of stories of sadness, of heartbreak and children without parents now and things like that. And um, there's also a lot of stories of, of hope and stories where people are banding together and out of solidarity or, or rescuing one another or ministering to one another. Christians and, and even non-Christians, people come together. And one of the things I've noticed about any of these kind of events is that our nation does come together. There's a sense of solidarity, of togetherness. And everyone tries to figure out, how, what can I do? How can I help? And I even saw a guy um, who decided the best way he could help was to strap on his Spider-Man suit and walk around the, uh, the, the shelter and cheer kids up. And, you know, maybe it's not the most meaningful way, but I thought it was interesting. He said, as I read the report, he said, I was... In my car, I had none of my stuff in my home, but I still had my Spider-Man suit in my car. So I thought, I'll put that on, I'll walk around, I'll cheer kids up. And he said, you know, when I first walked in there, I felt a little self-conscious in this Lycra and, you know, spandex and everyone in this stadium. And he said, but, you know, kids started to respond and smile and he started to give stickers out and, and all of that type of thing. And you just see all kinds of stories like that where people come together because people identify with those in pain. And it's a cause, right? It's a cause that people get behind. And as I was preparing for this morning's message, I was thinking, what is our cause? What are we called to do as a body of believers? What is the whole point of church? What are we doing anyway? And some might say, well, to rescue people, right? Like in a different way, to rescue people from hell, to rescue people from sin. That's what we're called to. And you would be partly right, of course, right? This summer we've talked about being outward arrows. That was a series that we had, and I really emphasize that. Let's go out there outside of these walls. Let's be on mission. Let's reach people who are lost without Jesus Christ and not just enjoy the the worship and the fellowship in here, but reach the people who don't know Jesus Christ. Certainly that is a very noble cause. That is one of the things that we're about. But is that all we're about? Is that the end goal? Is that where it stops? Well, We'd say no, right? Because we have to ask a couple questions. Even as we go out there and even as we are outward arrows, we must think to ourselves, what kind of congregation, what kind of church are we calling those people into? It's very important that we not only go out there, but we also say, what's the health of our body like? How healthy are we as a, as a group of believers? Because if we're calling people to join the church, let's look at the church we're calling them to join. We also have to ask ourselves, well, what kind of church do we need to be here so that we can go out on mission? It's, it does no good to just preach, go out there, if, if we're not healthy here and we're not able to go out with confidence and with the power of the Holy Spirit to share Jesus Christ with, with other people. The other thing is, again, what is the end goal? Even after the, you know, Hurricane Harvey's waters recede and, and all of that is done, there's going to be a long building process, isn't there? This is going to go on for a while. It goes much further than just rescuing people. It's a, it's a process of rebuilding. And in the body of Christ and what God calls us to in the text this morning, it goes beyond just rescuing people from hell, although that is noble. It, building them up in Jesus Christ. So turn to Ephesians 4 with me. We're going to see in Ephesians chapter 4, this is what we're called to as a church. And if there ever was a passage about vision, what is the vision for the church? This is a great text. And most of you know what vision is. Vision is a 
preferred future. You can kind of envision and see what do we want to be? What does God want us to look like? Here's where we are. What's the vision moving forward? Well, in Ephesians 4, we see what Paul is telling the church in Ephesus is their goal. What is the vision for the body of Christ? Well, let's look at it in Ephesians chapter 4. Paul's writing to the church in Ephesus here. And I'm going to read verses 1 through 16. So go ahead and follow with me. Ephesians 4, verses 1 through 16, this is what God's word says. Paul writing, I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore it says, when he ascended on high, he led a host of captives and he gave gifts to men. A quote from Psalms, if you were here last week. Psalms is all throughout the New Testament. Verse 9, in saying he ascended, what does it mean but that he had also descended into the lower regions, the earth? He who descended is the one who also ascended far above all the heavens, that he might fill all things. And notice verse 11, talking about the church here. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. So that we may no longer be children, tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness in deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love." Now, throughout Scripture, there are numerous illustrations or analogies for the church, right? You'll read about it being a building. You'll read about it being a temple. And here in Ephesians 4, Paul is comparing the body of Christ, well, the church to a body, right? The body of Christ. Probably the predominant analogy for the church is the body. And as we talk about what should this community look like, what should this group of believers look like, We see in this text, it's a mature body, a mature body in Christ. Look at verse 12. It it tells us that we, uh, verse 12 says, the building up the body of Christ. So there's some kind of bodybuilding going on. The, The body is being built. It's maturing, verse 13, so that we reach mature manhood, so that we're not children anymore, verse 14. No longer children, but mature, grown up, adult body. That's what we are called to. That's the vision for the future. You know, when Paul says, here's what I see, this is what God wants for the church. He wants a mature group of people. He wants a mature body. We're supposed to be growing. We're supposed to be growing constantly and maturing. And we're not saved to remain in spiritual infancy. Now, some of you guys have a baby in the house probably, right? And Babies are amazing. And every time I see a newborn that's really 
you know, my wife and I, when we're out in public and we see a baby that's like a week or two old, it's like, that's a fresh baby right there. You know, you see it, you're like, wow, look how small and the, the little diapers and, and aren't they so cute? You know, as they get a little bit older, they're cooing and that's amazing. And I mean, even their spit up's kind of cute a little bit. And they're just adorable and that's because they're infants. But, you know, if those of us who are adults, we acted like that, it wouldn't be very cute. You know, if you walked around the commons out there and you were just kind of spitting up and you were cooing, it, it's, it's going to be weird, okay? If you're wearing diapers around, that's strange, um, unless you're, you know, later and that happens. But babies are totally dependent, right? Totally dependent. And so when we think about adults, they're not supposed to be that way. I remember a phase that I think it was in the 90s where teens were wearing pacifiers and they were clipped to their shirts and they would randomly suck on them. In school. Do you guys remember this? Anyone? It's so weird. I, and I think a couple years ago this happened again. But that's not right. That's not supposed to happen. You got rid of your binky a long time ago, right? And so when adults act like kids, it's kind of creepy. And so it is spiritually if adults, spiritual adults, those who have been saved for a while, who know the Lord are acting like spiritual infants, it's not what God wants. He says, no, we're supposed to be built up into maturity. We're supposed to be growing. Verse 13, look at this with me. Verse, ter- verse 13 says this, Until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. Look at that last phrase there, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. You want a compelling vision for the church? Here it is. Now our vision here at Cedar Lake and at Bethel Church may take on a slightly different flavor, but it should never be different than that. This is what we want to look like. We want to look like a mature body. Who is growing up to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ? That's what God wants for us. That's what we're to be as a church. Today in 2017, just like back when Paul wrote. That's why our purpose statement at Bethel is we exist to make followers of Christ whose lives are all about him. You see the Christ-centeredness here, right? I mean, it's all about Jesus. It's all about being built up into Jesus to being built to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. So our Christ-centeredness at Bethel, it comes from verses like this. This is our mission. This is our cause. Yes, the cause with Hurricane Harvey is important. This is a cause greater still. And of course, this was spelled out in the Great Commission. Matthew 28, you remember this verse, right? When Jesus says, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to do all that I commanded you, and I'll be with you to the end of the age. But notice Jesus says, Teach them to observe everything I have taught you, everything I've said. There's a sense in which we're growing up into Christ and we are filled with the fullness of Jesus. So that's what we're called to do. That's our cause. That's our purpose. That's why we're here. And it's important to remember that before we ever start talking about how are we doing. How are we doing with that? This week is a standalone sermon. It's kind of a free-for-all, you know, do-whatever-you-want type thing, okay? And so as I think about our campus, as I think about where we are, and as I evaluate that vision, that purpose, I wanted to just ask myself and us, how are we doing with that? How are we doing with that compelling vision of being built up into Christ and and maturity and unity from Ephesians chapter 4. And so I want you to think about that. How are we doing? How is Cedar Lake Campus doing with that? And in some ways I'd say we're doing pretty well. I mean, this last year we had a number of baptisms. We had people join our church. Every every Sunday we see new people, some, some who are not church. That's great. We regularly teach 
Jesus at Bethel in men's Bible studies, in women's Bible studies, in children's ministry, in student ministry, and here from this pulpit and in small groups where we have a dynamic way for you to be able to grow and put into practice the truths of God's Word. So in one area, we're doing pretty well. But then there's another area which I, I believe we could, we could use a little work, and that's why I bring to you Ephesians 4 this morning. And if I had to sum it up, it would be in the word solidarity. Solidarity. So, you know, we think about how people are coordinated down uh, with this hurricane relief, and they're working together in unison and all of that. And what we need here at this campus, I believe, is just a little bit better coordination and unity and caring for one another. We need to be more like the three musketeers who said all for one and one for all, right? So let's look at that from the text this morning. First, all for one. Notice the unity throughout this text. I mean, if your Bible is like mine, the, the, the little subject line above chapter 4 says unity in the body of Christ. It's a pervading theme throughout this text. And I want you to look at verse 1 through 6 and just count the amount of times that the word one is used, all right? And I think you can even start in verse 4 is where it starts. But how many times is the word one used? Look at that. If you count them, it's seven. There's seven times that God had Paul to pen the word one. Now, whenever you're doing Bible study, this is a, a basic Bible study technique. If a word is repeated again and again, it's, it's an emphasis, right? It's God wants us to get this. He wants us to understand one. He says one body, one spirit, one hope, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all. And notice verse three, a unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. So we're on the same team. We're all together. If you've trusted in Jesus Christ, if you're a child of God, at that very moment, God takes you and he joins you to the body, one body. And this, this body, this, this group of people is part of a new kingdom, right? A kingdom of light instead of a kingdom of darkness. And you're part of a family and you have brothers and sisters in the Lord. But in Ephesians 4, the emphasis is body, right? And, and and to understand the unity here in, in chapter 4, I want you to glance back at chapter 3 because it's in context here. If you go back to chapter 3 of Ephesians, you'll notice verse 3 and 4. It talks about a mystery. mystery. Anyone like good mysteries? You know, a book, a movie where you're, you're watching it or you're reading it, you're trying to put the pieces together. Well, Paul writes about a mystery in Ephesians 3 that, that the children of Israel were discovering. They, they didn't understand, but now it was starting to be unveiled. Look at verse 3. He talks about this mystery that was made known to him by revelation. And verse, 14, uh, verse 4 of the chapter, sorry, he says, Paul says, you can perceive my insight into the mystery of Christ. So what's the mystery? What, what is this mystery, Paul, that you're talking about? Look at verse 6. It says, this mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body, and partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. So in chapter 3, Paul is telling us there has been something mysterious that the, the people of Israel didn't fully get, and that was that God is blowing this thing up. He has taken this way beyond just the Jewish uh, confines. Now, it was always supposed to be so, but in a very strategic way through the church, now God is assembling a people from all nations all over the world, right? So right now, there is a church that is universal, and there are Christians in, in probably just about every country you can think of. You know, in Iceland, in North Korea, in, in, in Brazil. I mean, you pick the country. God is assembling a, a, a group of people. And that universal church is part of one body. One mysterious body. Now, we can't see that. That's hard to wrap our minds around. Which is why Paul also talks about the local church. Because the local church 
right here, is where growth actually happens. You don't grow because of your participation in the universal body. You grow when you're part of a local body and you're around other believers and you see yourself connected to them. So we have to ask, how is this local church, how is this manifestation of the body of Christ, how are we doing? How unified are we? Are we, do we have unity here? And, and so as I was trying to answer this question, I would say yes and no. Yes, in this sense, one of the things I'm thankful to God for is since I've been here, I've not really detected even a stitch, really, of divisiveness. I haven't seen it. Now, there might be something somewhere, but you don't have rumblings and you don't have people backbiting, and I just don't see a lot of that. And I praise God for that. A lot of us have experienced that at different churches. That's hard. We don't have divisiveness, and I'm I'm thankful for that. But I would say that we probably have unawareness. Unawareness meaning that we don't always know those around us. We don't always maybe break out of our, our, our comfort, comfortable group of people, and we don't always get to know the people that are a little different than us. And so since I've been there, I've been, try, since I've been here, I've been trying to evaluate where can we grow? I believe this is an area. Maybe we need to be reminded this morning that we are all one, all one. Whenever somebody comes and visits Bethel, Cedar Lake, and they fill out a connection card, I make it a practice to call them on the phone and just introduce myself, say hi. And I've heard from just a a couple of them, probably several actually, who have said this to me. So when I visited, somebody shook my hand. That was really cool at the door. But then, honestly, they said it seemed a little clicky. And I've heard that from a couple different people. So once I heard the second or third uh, person say that, I thought, oh, man, that's not what we want here, right? We We don't want to be that kind of church. We want to be unified. We want to be welcoming. And so, you know, I started to just evaluate that. Do we ever do that? Well, Bethel Cedar Lake is known throughout Bethel as a very friendly congregation. And, you know, most of you come here, you would say, yeah, we're friendly. Because we all find a group of people who we feel at home with. And every Sunday you see them, you talk to them, and it's a very awesome time. But sometimes we neglect to to see, we're unaware of the people who might be just kind of walking in, don't really know anyone, or maybe the people that are different from us. Different stage of life, just different way they dress, whatever. And I think that we need to be reminded that we are all one We're all part of one body together, every member, not just because we're united by the same cause, although we are, right, the cause is great, but it's even more intimate than that. Paul says in this text, we are part of the same body. We share a body. That is intimate. We're all part of the same body. So now I think we struggle to wrap our minds around this because, at least I know, I've grown up in a culture that is very individualistic. We think about ourselves a lot. You know, everything is curated, customized to our own tastes. Now, there was a day, some of you who are younger are going to have to imagine this with me, okay? There was a day when you took a family drive in the car, and you had to listen to whatever music dad or mom put on the radio. You had no control. You didn't have a smartphone where you could pop out your Spotify playlist and listen to what you wanted to listen to. It was just like, okay, I guess we're listening to that. As a kid, that's what you did. As a family, you did that together, and that is no more. And that's just one of thousands of examples of where we live in an individualistic culture, where it's catered to me, it's curated, it's customized, right? And if we're not careful, we can bring that same mentality into the church. You know, I walk through the doors thinking about what I'm going to get and really not thinking about many other people, or I sing the songs only thinking about myself. And of course, that's a powerful time when we contemplate what Christ did for me. But we're all singing together. We're part of this together. We're listening to the sermon in a in kind of a consumeristic way, forgetting that we're a body together listening to the sermon. 
The church is not meant to be a curated experience. It's a, it's a messy thing. Being, being part of the body of Christ is messy. It's beautifully diverse. And that's what Paul is reminding us of here. I want you to look at verse 2. Because verse 2 gives us some character traits that we're supposed to have. And look, look at it. Humility, gentleness, patience, bearing with one another. So why is Paul reminding us that we need these traits? Well, because people are different than us. And people are annoying. And people really frustrate us. And we don't like certain people. And so he's reminding us, hey, you have to have humility. You have to be gentle. You have to be patient. And you have to bear with one another in love. But it's a good thing that we're different. Because true unity is unity and diversity. God decided to give each one of us the gifts that he saw fit. The personality that he decided. The abilities that he decided. And we are a diverse People, we know from 1 Corinthians 12, that would be a, a passage to read later that would really complement this. It's a good thing that we're not all the same. It says if, if all were an eye, where would the sense of hearing be? We're all different body parts. And if you think about a body that is made up of only eyes or only ears, it is, that's scary. And it doesn't even work. It, it doesn't function as a body. You can't do that. So if we say we have unity as a church... But what we mean by that is in my subgroup, I have a lot of unity. I love those people. We're tight. We're good. Um, and if we control that, then that's not actually unity. That's, that's what I've manipulated to be unity. Controlled homogenous unity is not really unity. It's got to be somewhat diverse. I, I saw an interesting illustration this week that reminded me that diversity is important. Apparently, I don't know if you know this, but there's a banana epidemic. You guys know this? this banana is one of the, the most popular fruits in our households. Uh, in fact, probably a lot of you have a banana sitting on your counter, and I, I would almost bet a, like 100% it's a Cavendish variety of banana. See, what happened was, a long time ago, there were thousands of different uh, species, I don't know, whatever you call bananas, types of bananas, okay? And what happened was they discovered that Americans like a certain taste, a certain look of banana, were particular, and so they decided to grow that one type of banana and engineer it in such a way that it would uh, be exactly what we wanted. And almost exclusively, not completely, that's grown throughout the different countries around the world where bananas are grown. Well, what happened was because it's only one strain of banana, it's very susceptible to viruses or to pestilence. And so one by one, countries have started to lose all their Cavendish types of bananas. So the day could come soon where we don't have the banana as we know it, but don't panic. There are other kinds of bananas. And probably what we can do is, you know, they can crossbreed things and all that. But the point is this, if we try to make our, control our congregation or even our small group or whatever it is to make it a certain way, we're going to lose something. We're more susceptible. We're not able to, to edify one another through different generations and through different backgrounds and all of that kind of thing because diversity is truly beautiful. It's a good thing. We do have diversity here right now. I mean, we, to, to some degree, with certain things, we have blue collar and white collar. We have rich, we have poor, we have everything in between. And I'm thankful for that. We have people who work on a farm, people who work in a mill, people who work downtown Chicago. And that's good. We want diversity. We want people that homeschool and go to private school and public school and all of those things, it's, it's good to have that diversity. Here's a question for you. When's the last time you invited someone over to your house that's different from you and you were a little nervous about it because you're not even sure if you get along or if you had anything in common? When's the last time that you did that where you took a, a leap of faith and just said, you know what, let's invite that family. We met them and I just don't know if they're anything like us, but let's, let's get to know them. 
Remember, you are connected to them in Christ. Every person sitting here, every person in the first service, you're connected to them, part of a body. In fact, we're connected to all the campuses of Bethel and, of course, to the universal church. But we're one church, one body. It's one of the reasons why the lake baptism was so beautiful. If you were able to go to the lake baptism, you had all campuses represented and you had people. It didn't matter what campus they were from. didn't matter what, uh, what job they did. It doesn't matter. When they go into the water and they're baptized, it represents something. It represents the fact that we're all part of the same body, part of the same, we believe the same creed. We're all one in Christ. And that, that's why Paul says here, verse 5, one baptism. Baptism is the only one of these ones that we can actually visibly see. It's a representation of what has happened spiritually, and so it's important. I was listening to a podcast, and it was very, very interesting and sad to me that Years and years and years ago when, when um, you know, there was slavery abounded in our country and we had uh, plantation owners who were Christian, in quotes, and they, their slaves would become Christians. They would trust in Jesus Christ. They refused to let them be baptized. Now, why would they do that? They wouldn't let them be baptized because they knew if they were baptized, something very powerful was being said. They were one in Christ. They were the same as they were, and so no longer could they control them. See, baptism is a, is a powerful thing because it shows we are all together. We're one. Notice verse 13. I want you to, you can underline a word if you do that in your Bible or highlight it, but it says this, until we all, that word all, until we all attain to the unity of the faith. That's the vision. The vision that Paul sets forth is until all of us get, get there, of course, that won't happen until heaven, but the point is this, we're all in this together moving towards Christ, all. You remember the relay races you used to do as a kid? You know, you get in a line, and they do those in the Midwest, right, relay races, okay? You get in a line, and then the first person goes, and the second person goes, and if you're, if you're down a man, you pick, like, the fastest kid, and you're like, you're going twice, you know? And then everyone runs, they do their thing, and then you sit down. And your team isn't done until the last person sits down, Right? Now, now you're done as a team, and so you're competing and all that thing. And that, that's maybe a good illustration for this idea of we all need to get there. But a better illustration still would be if we're doing a sack race. I don't know if you call them that here, but, you know, you're in a burlap bag, right, with that person. Who's done a, who's done a sack race? Okay, I'm not the only one. You know how hard that is, right? You're there, and you're trying to coordinate your legs together, and that person's falling, and, and, and you're like, come on, man, or you're the one falling, and you're like... This is the body of Christ, sharing a body, coordinated, trying to move together with the weaker parts, the stronger parts, all of that. Unity requires body coordination. I want you to think about how amazing the human body is. I'm going to give you an illustration here, and this is kind of unorthodox, but I'm actually uh, going to ask Steve to participate. Just say where you are. I know he's like, what in the world? I have a little ball here. I'm going to throw a ball, and Steve is going to catch it, right? You got this? All right, good job. That was it. That's all you had to do. Well done. Thank you, Steve. You can keep that for now. What just happened there? Well, Pastor Mark threw a ball and Steve caught it. Right, that's true. But I, I'm not really a scientist, but here's what happened. I'll try to get it right here, okay? The eye, his eye was able to register, okay? When light strikes the rods or the cones in the retina, all of a sudden now it's converted into an electric signal that is relayed to the brain via the optic nerve. And then the brain translates that electric signal into the images that we see. The brain decides signals to the hand, and he grabbed it. 
Now, if I did that wrong, science teachers, tell me later, okay, but something like that happened, something amazing, something that is quite complex. And all we thought was, oh, I just caught a ball. No, the body is doing something. It's coordinated. It is, it's amazing. And so when God decides to call the church the body, he's telling us something. He's telling us that we are, we are connected together. We're connected in ways that is a little bit mysterious, but we're not a silo. We're not all by ourselves. We can't just come here and go, yeah, I'm good with Jesus, and we walk out. We're, we're, we're connected in a way that's very intimate. Look at verse 15 through 17 again, and I believe in verse 16 it says this, each part is working properly. See that? You could underline that, each part. Each part is working properly. When each part is working properly, that's when we're being built up in love. A body cannot be healthy unless all of its parts mature. You're familiar with a, a, a disorder called gigantism? Andre the Giant was one of the famous people that had that. What happens is certain parts of the body grow at an abnormal rate, and other parts not so much, and so things are out of whack, and a lot of times that, that those individuals do not live that long, and the body's not meant to be that way. You know, you, you could say, well, our church has some awesome, has such a good staff, and, and we love the elders, and, and those people are great, and the oh, worship team, man, we got a great church. But see, if we got all these mature individuals and then we have people that are just like, we're good because of that, that's not healthy. The body's supposed to grow together and we're, we're all connected. When one member of our community is struggling, it affects the whole body. And so we come alongside and we help. And if one behavior, one body part is not behaving properly, we try to encourage each other, try to love each other. If, if you ever had this happen, one little body part gets hurt and it affects your whole body whole being, right? Like I remember one time I smashed my fingernail in a door and it got all like black and blue and all this pressure and it was nasty and, and I, I, like my whole body hurt from the pain of that one little fingernail. I got out of, I think of a couple tests because it was my right hand, so that was awesome. But it was painful and if you've ever had this happen, you're like, what is the deal? This is just a small part of my body and yet I'm racked with pain. And this should be the case with us when, it, when one body member suffers, we all suffer. And many times we don't even know that anyone's suffering. We just don't know because we're not that connected. And then look at verse 14. In the middle of all this body metaphor, all this body talk, Paul throws out a totally different metaphor. And sometimes I'm like, Paul, why are you mixing metaphors here? I, I don't know. But look at verse 14. He, he compares those that are more immature, those that are struggling, as a boat that's out at sea being thrown around by a storm, right? Tossed about by every wind and wave. And in that day, they would have thought of probably a sailboat out on the Sea of Galilee or something like that. And they would have imagined that. And those who are not spiritually mature are vulnerable. They're in a place where they're susceptible to every wind and wave, every false teaching, every sin, all of this. And it'd be kind of like, you know, somebody who watches the movie Master and Commander. And they've never sailed before, but they just go grab somebody's sailboat. They take it out to Lake Michigan. They're like, I got this. I'm going to Canada. Good luck. You don't know the first thing about sailing. You're susceptible. You're vulnerable to any storm, anything that happens. That's what it's talking about. And here, here's the thing. You know, I read the scriptures, and I think you do this too. A lot of times I even read the Bible with an individualistic mentality. Because what I was picturing is, is like a harbor and all these sailboats. And we're all out there. And, you know, some of you guys, you got your sailboat, you know, it's ship shape. Everything's good. All your sails are right. You, you know what you're doing with sailing and you're, you're doing okay. Right? You're not perfect, but you got things together. 
Then there's a few other people who are struggling. Like, they don't even know what to do with the sales. They, they, they're new to this whole Christianity thing. Uh, maybe they don't even know how to sail at all, that kind of thing. And I, that's how I'm picturing this scenario. But I think I probably have that a little wrong. I think that the better in, uh, image here is that we're all in the same sailboat. That's a big sailboat, okay? <laughs> but we're all on this boat together. We're all together. See, when we read Scripture, oftentimes we read it about me, but ultimately it's about us as a body. How are we doing? Are we susceptible? Are we being blown about? So what can you do to become more aware and to foster this mentality of all for one? Like, how can you apply this sermon? How can you say, yeah, you know what? I want to be more aware of those around me who might be struggling, who might be faltering. Well, here's a couple ideas. I'll just give you a few. One is you could be on the lookout. When you come on a Sunday, you're out in the commons or in here or whatever, be on the lookout. Say, I'm going to try to find somebody this week I've never met before. And I know this is intimidating and it's kind of scary and it's kind of embarrassing. Like when you're a pastor and you say, I don't think I've met you before. And they're like, I've come to your church since you came. I'm like, hmm, all right, sorry. But you have to try, to try to work at it, get to know people, recognize when somebody's new, or even just put yourself out there and try to say hi. Or maybe, you know, when you're in that group of friends, which is awesome, I'm glad that we have community here, it's a good thing. But when you're in that group of friends talking, you know, in the commons, always kind of keep one eye out, looking for people around you that may not uh, be like you, or you don't know. And I was thinking about it in this way, almost like Gideon's men. You know how they were, you know, they were by the, the, the brook and they were drinking water, but they always had their hand on their weapon. Now, don't attack people. Like, it's not, maybe that analogy is not great. But the point is you're always, you know, you're enjoying the fellowship, but you're also always aware. Try that. Try to say, God, get, put within me that awareness, right? Uh, then break it up. You know, say, guys, let's go talk to different people. Huddle, break. All right, cool, you know. Here, here are a couple examples from our congregation of people who do this, and I'm not going to share their names because I don't want to embarrass them. But we have a couple, what they do is they make a point of going around on a Sunday morning and greeting people they don't know and then inviting them all over to their house and trying to connect them to one another and, and allowing them to be able to build relationships. That's awesome. That kind of stuff is cool. Uh, or another couple I know, actually more than a couple, there's a few people who do this. They sit in different sections. You know, they sit over here for a little bit, get to know the people around them. Then they sit on this side of the auditorium, get to know those people. That's a good way to go. Now I know there's different uh, climate zones in our, in our room. And I know there's different loudness levels in our room. I know all that, okay? But try that. You know, maybe say, let's, let's mix it up. Let's go over there. Here's another idea. Your small group, it's doing well. It's rocking, all that stuff. Maybe try to invite this year a wild card into your group, like somebody that's just different than you, you know, different stage of life, whatever, different generation. Say, you know what, God might really do something if we diversify this group a little bit. Just remember this, every member is important. We're all one. Every person who walks in here, if they're in Christ, they're one. If they're not in Christ, we want them to be one with us. So all for one and one for all. What do I mean one for all? Well, each person here needs to consider the responsibility, the role that you play. Every person's important, and every person needs to be engaged to some degree. Verse 7 of our text, look, it says, But grace was given to each one of us. Every one of us has been given grace. Through the Holy Spirit, at the point of conversion, we were given gifts. We were given the grace of God through the Holy Spirit. Now, it's a little mysterious. Sometimes I think God takes our skills and our abilities, and he... He redeems those and uses those. Other times, perhaps he gifted us at the moment of salvation with a spiritual gift. But the point is, all of us have a gift. 
All of us have been graced with that. And an interesting tidbit from verse 11 here, in one sense, people are the gifts. Verse 11, it says that these pastors and elders and these people are the gifts to the church. So you, as a member, are a gift to the church. God has given you to the church. And along with that, he's given you certain abilities and certain skills and certain spiritual gifts. And it's really important for us to try to explore, well, what are those? It's a shared ministry. It's all hands on deck, you could say. Bethel usually says it this way. They say that every person should be shouldering some kind of kingdom responsibility, preferably on a weekly basis. Now, some people are up front. Some people are doing a whole lot. Some people are paid to do it. They're staff. But if every person said, yeah, you know what? I want to do something, even if it's little. I want to be a part of this. Well, that's when you start to see the body really grow, according to Paul. I want to say a thank you to all those who are serving. A lot of you are faithfully serving. This sermon is not meant to extort more ministry out of you, right? (laughs) You're doing a great job. You're serving. You're plugged in. You're loving and you're caring and all of that. No, the the point of this sermon is to say we are all in this together. And and some have never, maybe have never found the area to serve. Maybe you want to. You're just not sure what you could do. Or maybe you're new to this whole thing and you're not, you didn't know you were supposed to serve. But the text says all of us together. One thing is sure from Ephesians 4. We are far healthier when everyone pitches in. And as that percentage rises of engaged members, we become healthier and we become healthier. I was thinking about the game of soccer, right? And uh, when you play soccer, there, sometimes there isn't you know, a star player who tends to hog the ball a lot and tends to, you know, everyone is like, oh, they're amazing. And when I was uh, on mission trips in Europe and playing with people over there, they would call those individuals gloriers. Oh, he's a glorier, you know, because he's just all about his own glory. And they don't work, work well with the team a lot of times, right? And so there's those players. And then there's players who elevate everyone's game. And I think this is true for a lot of sports, right? But the soccer player who, when they, they're a playmaker. They make the people around them look good. And everyone plays at a better level when they're with that person. And, you know, some of the individuals in the church, God is called to be equippers, to be kind of like playmakers. But if they're the ones doing the stuff and everyone's looking at them going, well, yeah, we got some stars on our team, man. We're, we're a great church. We're missing the point because they're supposed to be equipping and helping all of us in this game that we are playing. And it's, it's not really a game. You know what I'm saying, though? This endeavor. I want you to see a biblical formula here from the text. If you look at verse 11, we have pastors who teach. We have elders who lead also in verse 11. But notice in verse 12, we have people doing ministry. Verse 12 says, we are called as leaders of the church to equip the saints for the work of ministry. Now, all of us, leaders and everyone in the church, are people in the church. So we're all called to minister, whether a leader or not. But this is a very important distinction that we must make is that we as people, all of us, are called to do the ministry. Not just the professionals, not just the people that are paid. And again, the more that we can increase that percentage, I truly believe the healthier we will become. You ever had a body part fall asleep? Everyone has, right? You had that body part fall asleep, it's like painful or like really, really frustrating. I remember being, uh, trying to tuck the kids in bed and trying to sing to them and being there forever and then falling asleep next to their bed like on my knees. Waking up like an hour later, you know, trying to stand up and I can't even walk. I'm like dragging myself down the hallway to get into the, you know, my bedroom. And, you know, if you think about that analogy, there, sometimes there are members who fall asleep, body parts that fall asleep. 
Of course, then, you know, that's not good for them. That's not good for us as a body. We're all to be lively together in this thing. All for one and one for all. Kind of growing, maturing to become that picture that God has for us, that, that mature body. So what I want to do to conclude is to give you some practical ways to apply this, right? Because, yeah, that's great, Pastor Mark. Yeah, let's try to be more unified. Let's look out for those that aren't connected. If you're not connected, get connected. Okay. What are some ways that you could do that? Well, you probably saw when you came in, you were handed one of these cards. This has been around, floating around Bethel for a while. It says Outward Arrows, and it says Volunteering at Bethel. And it's good because it puts into context why we volunteer, why we serve in the first place. But I want, you to, I want you to take this home and look at the middle part because the middle part actually has a link to a spiritual gift test that you could take online on our website. And then from that spiritual gift test, you could also check areas that you'd be interested in ministering. And then somebody will contact you and say, oh, I see that you, know, you took this test, you filled out this thing. We'd love for you to, tr- to, to see if this would work with you serving in that area. And I had somebody after the first service make a good point. They said to me, they said, you know, Mark, maybe if somebody wants to serve in a ministry but they're not sure if it would be a good fit or if they have the ability or whatever, have them come out and just observe. Like have them come to Awana and just see what happens and maybe they would feel a burden to do it. Or maybe they'd say, no, I'd probably kill a kid if I did this or whatever, I don't know. But come check it out. Like it's not a secret society thing. Come out and see maybe God would have you to serve in that area. That's a good point. So do that as a family. Take that home. Spend some time taking that, that, taking that spiritual gift uh, survey if you've never done that before. Or maybe it's a good refresher. And then from that, say, hey, maybe this is a ministry that I could help out at, at Bethel. And the other thing that's in just a second we're going to have passed out are cards like this. And they're just white cards. And they have some really practical helps areas that you could minister. So you might say, well, I don't know yet where my spiritual gifts are. But I know I can do some really practical stuff. I can do this or that. I have some areas written down on here, and there could be others. That's why there's an other slot you could write in something else. But here are the, here are the categories that we came up with. Making meals, financial planning, child care, home repair, automotive repair, hospital visitation, transportation, and then the other line. See, we have all kinds of needs in our congregation, things that come up where people need to be ministered to. And you might say, I can drive a car, you know, and... Um, and I can do this, and I can, do, I can make a meal. Well, this is great. If you uh, fill out this and put it in the baskets as you go out by the doors, what we'll do is all we're going to do is contact you and let you know you can be part of this group that's made aware of these needs. You're not committing to anything through this. You're just letting us know, hey, here's where I could maybe help. So do that. As this is passed out, it's an opportunity for you to say, yeah, I think I could do something practical like that, behind the scenes, whatever. And then take the spiritual gift test and say, where can I be connected to the body. All for one, one for all.